Our first Techie Talk of August 2023 with State Representative Techie Chan of Quincy. Hey, Techie, how are you? Hey, good to see you, Joe. Happy uh, one left of like the third of the summer remaining, I suppose. I know, it's kind of sad. It's, I was just speaking to a weather observer at the Blue Hill Weather Observatory, and he said, oh, well, welcome to the last meteorological month of summer. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, well, considering that uh, we spent basically two months in uh, high humidity and uh, constant rainstorms and thunderstorms and wind and lightning, uh, now we have our first dry kind of summer month that we should have seen back in June. I know it's crazy, but I'm hoping it'll extend like into November this year. <laughs> I'm at that stage too. Uh, August uh, historically is this, you know, wet and warm month, which is fine. I mean, you live here long enough, you live here your life, you accept that August is kind of damp, the more damp and more intense uh, heat, you know, going to late July to early August and it tapers off, you know, mid September and we move to like this, you know, fall, summer, you know, fall summer ish like weather which is which is nice going to november as you point out like uh, i would do this for a while on the flip side i hope the local uh, reservoirs and you know the the quabbin and other water supplies you know is healthy um the snowpack this past winter was not that great uh, you know a lot of our reservoirs already did put on, on good sized snowpack so i'm crossing my fingers that um this uh, wetter summer you know fills up the reservoirs i hope uh, yes, um, there's actually, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, that's when the state updates its drought monitor, and I checked it, and there is zero drought anywhere in Massachusetts, it's it's all above normal. Yeah, that's the first time in a long time I can think of that, you know, there isn't a drought issue, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, the damp weather will tamper down forest fires. I remember early in March, there was a lot more forest fires because of such a dry winter. That's true. Yeah, hopefully it's helping out up in Canada as well. I don't know if they're having the same wet issues that we are. Well, it's amazing how the new cycle works. I mean, once the air cleared, we stopped hearing about the Canadian forest fires. Um, yeah, I'm sure they didn't just go out. <laughs> I'm pretty confident just go either, uh, which is an unfortunate statement, but true. Yeah. And, but it's not just here. I mean, globally speaking, uh, the Northern Hemisphere is taking a pounding on heat. And um, of course, it triggers forest fires even in a very dry area. So, unfortunately, you know, we already have enough climate change issues that are man made, but you throw in naturally made climate change issues such as forest fires, it just compounds the matter. Um, and of course, it eats resources, right? You know, it puts stress on you know, electrical grids in terms of, uh, you know, cooling buildings, but also in you know, the water supply. You know, as firefighters are, are battling fires and you have to obviously eat up uh, fuel and get those helicopters up there. And you saw the tragedy of the um, in uh, Greece. Um, mm. you know, most of the islands of Greece on fire, tourists are trapped, and you had like one person die already, another one regarding uh, an airplane, um, fire retardant airplane slammed into a hill. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, obviously it's not not good, and we want to get, get past it, certainly, but Good news is in Quincy, um, I've been checking the beach water quality this summer, and it's really been very good. There's been no closures. I'm a little surprised because uh, when it's heavy, heavy rains, it wash like all the soot and bacteria and everything out into the bay. And the bay is shallow. And that's that's obviously you know a problem because it doesn't flush out properly. Uh, and uh, I remember earlier in the summer when the heavier rains, they didn't have closures, but they had higher um, counts of bacteria and put the flags up 
on warnings, but they didn't have any extended closures in, in Quincy Bay. So that is good news. So perhaps the rain, like early on, flushed out all the initial uh, bacteria and other microbes that, you know, are sitting naturally, you know, in Town Brook and Furnish Brook and the you know, Black Street Estuary and, you know, all the drains that go around the city. And, you know, people are picking up after dog waste, which is very crucial because the dog waste heavily pollutes the, the bay. Uh, and, you know, that's why you don't pour um, dog waste or uh, any other uh, chemicals or liquids in any drains in Quincy. They all go straight to the brook system or go straight down into the, the beach uh, if it's not directed to the brook uh, directly. So, you know, obviously, you guys all know I live, you know, at the Black Creek Estuary, like, is my front yard. I grew up in front of Black Creek, um, on, uh, like, uh, across the street. So, you know, we, we do see the... You know, various tides and smells and whatnot and you know the impact on nature and i saw blue herring uh, last week neat that's a, that's yeah. quite a quite a neat sight yeah it was because i thought it was a small kid of a cat usually that's you see that's reserved for uh, places down the cape more remote areas so that's that's neat to see it absolutely is because I was driving home and I looked out the window and like, is that a small kid of a cat? Because, you know, it was not up. It was hunched down. So it wasn't like fully stretched out. It was kind of like doing the whole like this type of thing. Hunched motors and his head down and the long beak. I'm like, it like it was like three feet tall. I'm like, is that a child? So <laughs> I took a stop or went out the window, took a better look. I'm like, oh, it's a herring. So I, yeah, you know. once they take off, then you really know what it is because their wingspan is so huge. <laughs> oh, yeah, they got the six foot high at, at a full adult level and, you know, up to massive wingspan. So I mean, I grabbed my mom. We went out. He didn't care. The bird just chilling. Biggest bird in the marsh. No one's going to bother it. That's right. So, you know, just hanging out. I mean, even the egrets, which are more common than ever. I love seeing the white egrets here. You know, and they're beautiful birds and uh you know they're uh they just kept distance from the heron for whatever reason the heron's just like dominating the piece of marshland for a little while so yeah i mean that's you know part of it as well i mean nature will kind of heal itself the best it can as long as we try not to do more damage to it yeah exactly um, yeah that's a big part of uh you know living by a marsh although mosquitoes have been um quite a bit of mosquitoes this year Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's, well, they have plenty of moisture, so unfortunately. Yeah, I'm also giving my West Nile warning now. Uh, Suffolk County did find a case of West Nile virus, everyone, since that's Suffolk County. It doesn't look like it's that far from here. Um, so definitely please empty still water near your area. It does take um, about a week or two for mosquito eggs to incubate, but why wait that long? So if you got any still water, you know, definitely please empty around your house and uh, please be more cautious in the eat dusk in the evening if you're going off for walks regarding uh, trying to avoid mosquito, you know, mosquito repellent and whatnot. Obviously, if you're kind of in a dense, dense urban area. And if you're out at night, you know, definitely enjoy the evenings, but get your citrella candles out or get that fire pit going um, to try to square, square away mosquitoes. And if there's a good breeze, you know, mosquitoes have a hard time, you know, getting to if the breeze is strong enough. So you've got to go for a walk and it's, and we're back in nice nights for now, you know, it might be a good time to get out, but, uh, you know, more rains coming this weekend looks like, and it'll be more still water, but yeah, West Nile virus is, um, detected in Suffolk County, which, uh, does impact us. And, uh, the symptoms take two to 14 days. Yeah. I've been reading guys, uh, <laughs> two to 14 days to appear. They can include numbness, fever, uh, convulsions, um, a whole lot of other uh, ailments that 
look like flu, but it's a lot more than flu, especially things like numbness and paralysis, um, a lot of muscular issues. And it, it takes two or four days after the initial bite of mosquito. And the, the, the disease comes from predominantly birds. Um, mosquitoes bite birds, birds, you know, get up. I mean, mosquito bites birds, mosquito bites us, you know, transmits the virus. Yep, yep. So best not to get a, get bitten at all in the first place. Uh, hey, Techie, there's a state budget in place. Yeah, we did not go into uh, September uh, with no state budget. Um, as I've talked about in the past, you know, we have enough money to kind of do a whole over the budgets and the governor uh, did a one twelve budget for the month of August, which won't be necessary. Uh, it'll be just 10 days in and they'll do the reconciliation. The controller will do the reconciliation. So it all works out in the end. And the um, the budget is pretty exciting. I mean, one of the biggest things in there, we've talked a lot about, you know, universal school breakfast mm-hmm. uh, and school, I'm sorry, yeah, breakfast and lunches. Yeah, universal school uh, meals, basically. Meals, basically. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, <laughs> that's what happens to do this too often. Yeah, no, it's universal school meals in schools. Um, yeah, that, that was the big push uh, by the members of the legislature. And, the public and healthcare advocates and educators said, you know, this was the big priority. It was a pandemic program, another pandemic program to made permanent. So, you know, to us, that's the that's the real big highlight in this year's budget. Beyond, you know, obviously we got a lot of money for local projects like the presidential library proposal. We, you know, got some money for QCAP, Equation Resources, and Germantown Neighborhood Center, and so overtime patrol money. Uh, for Queen Shore Drive and Furnishbrook Parkway, with state police increasing patrols as we hit into you know in the warmer months, so we we want more police uh, presence and uh, you know working with Bruce and Rashudi Drive and some monies to create a new traffic um, portable like there's like a portable traffic light system and the state and the city will have to work together to figure how the configuration would work regarding trying to slow down and make some more sense of the traffic of Rashudi. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the ferry service very important to everyone up in Squadron Point Park. You know, Bruce and John's been working pretty hard and making sure funding continues for, the, for that program through the summer with the closure of uh, Sumner Tunnel. And, uh, you know, maybe it's the better alternative to try to get to Long's Wharf uh, to get to um, South Station, uh, you know, and other ways to get to the airport. So the ferry service becomes really important right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean... You know, we got some money for the multicultural festival and you know, a few neighborhood groups in Quincy Point. Uh, some money for Faxon Park. You know, obviously that's very important to speaker. Uh, so yeah, maybe a little smattering of money all over the place in the city. Did um, does the budget allocate um, money from the new quote millionaires tax? We do. We uh, allocate uh, about uh, five hundred million dollars to both transportation and educational programs. Uh, there is no stipulation in this millionaire's tax of how we spend it, uh, along as it falls in the category we consider education, transportation. So, you know, for example, uh, the governor proposal on a pilot program for universal uh, community college tuition, uh, targeting specifically persons age 25 and above, you know, obviously finished high school slash GED program. Um, you know, we got piling that out for about 20 million bucks, for example, out of the millionaire's tax. This is an easy example. And there are other examples, including, you know, trying to help out the MBTA a little bit here regarding um, safety upgrades and hiring, trying to hire people, you know. So, yeah, so there's a smattering of money, um, you know, across the state uh, on 
different ends of the programs, like regional transportation stuff. We don't care in Quincy, we're MBTA, right? So, but if you're, you know, Worcester West, you know, you care about regional transportation authority. So, you know, that, that's another example of using, you know, millionaire's tax, really just not on our neighborhoods per se exactly, but, you know, in the bigger uh, picture statewide. Um, and uh, we've been very conservative with the money. We were only estimated $1 billion. Um, these are programs that are uh, generally outside the state budget-based programs. Uh, these are kind of like extras, so to speak. Mm. Um, we don't know what the projection really is because a lot of things have been happening with the economy. So we took the conservative approach and uh, we don't want to bake it into baseline budget programs because we have to cut them. So these are more supplemental things. One thing that was not included, though, is was the tax cut package. Mm. No, we didn't touch really uh, the six, so-called 62F, Chapter 62F issue. Um, that got left at the table uh, as part of the budget process. You know, maybe we'll revisit the issue down the road. The initial House proposal, you know, was to provide equal distribution of 62F funds to everyone in proportion of the amount of taxes you pay. For most of us in Quincy, that's actually a plus. Um, you know, we don't live in a super wealthy region of the state. Um, so you're not like in, like, like Wellesley, I guess, is considered a super wealthy area. They pay a higher tax burden on income taxes. And, uh, you know, they received uh, the greatest benefit. Those residents, they give the greatest benefit of 62F because of the proportional taxes you pay. So the more you pay, the more you get back. So if you pay a significantly lower uh, tax burden, uh, you don't get nearly as much back. So, you know, the house is trying to do a, you know, everybody should get an equal share of the, of the profit, so to speak. You know, as a taxpayer combo, not not just what you put in. So, you know, maybe revisit the issue down the road. Um, you know, obviously the Senate was not interested in, in pursuing those matters, and uh, but I thought it was pretty fair. And obviously, it benefits you know, my residents heavily um, because uh, you know, you know, pe people should share the tax burden of the Commonwealth. But you know, sixty-year TAF is definitely not pro um, middle income and low income folks. Mm, yeah. I read to the uh, state lottery had its most profitable year ever since it was started. Yeah, um, you know, I saw the same news report. You know, over six billion dollars or so, a billion two is going straight to cities and towns for local aid, which means the budget local aid numbers were adjusted uh, to reflect that as it came out of conference committee. Uh, and uh, you know, administrative cost is actually fairly low. Uh, when you think about it, it's 5% of each ticket that's sold at the convenience stores, plus a little bonus if they get a winning ticket. And the uh, state lottery administration is generally less than 2% of total cost. So you figure 5%, you know, 6 billion goes to, you know, your convenience stores and gas stations and supermarkets, you know, and you know, the bars and other places that provide lottery sales, where it be Kino tickets or scratchies. Um, and then, you know, administrative budget's like under two percent so you're looking like maybe around like with the bonuses to the convenience stores and supermarkets that they win and, and the bars with have a winning player you know what time maybe uh you know maybe seven seven hundred percent ish mm. that is like a bargain uh, mm. when you think about it um on total administrative costs on on a program that's six billion dollars and you have like thousands of lottery agents and auditing and all that stuff um, so you know, lottery, we're one of the most successful lotteries, top five-ish in the, in the country. Definitely the best per capita. You know, seven million people against six billion dollars. I mean, even, you know, discount some of the cross state lines, folks in the borders. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy, actually, when you think about it. 
uh, on a per capita basis. And 1.2 billion in profits is, is one of the best ratio benefits in the state. That means that you know, the remainder went to prizes, right? Business share cost and prizes. So about, you know, probably $4 million in prizes. And this is the crazy part too. Scratchies still represent $4 billion out of $6 billion in sales. Mm-hmm. You know, your gut instinct would tell you it's the mega millions and Powerball that, you know, 1.25 bands coming up in Friday. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, not encouraging gambling, folks. Not encouraging gambling. Oh, right. No, no, no. Yeah. But, you know, Scratchy still represent, you know, four out of six bid in sales. And it's a really uniquely New England thing. I've studied lotteries around the country and Scratchies don't even crack 20% in most states. You know, here it's, you know, 40 out of 60 bid. That's well past, what, 60%. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's because of the instant gratification, you know, to, to find out right then and there if you want or not. I agree. Yeah. And it's also a cultural issue. I mean, everybody runs on some form of scratchy or pool tab before scratchies in, in the mm. state, what a pool tab is. And uh, you also have, you know, people give them away for Christmas, people give it for birthday, mm-hmm. give it away for, um, you know, lottery prize, you know, pool raffles. Um, you know, it's like a, a pretty affordable way you give somebody, you know, a $2 scratchy, maybe they come out with like a man bucks or at least maybe 20. So. Yes. And then you wish, then you wish you had it. <laughs> well, that, I always wondered about that. If you gave your, your kid a scratchy and it's like five grand, I mean, I'm sure you're happy for your kid, but you're like two, I spent two bucks with my kid and this is what happens, right? <laughs> I've never heard that story yet of, Someone gives a scratchy and they're like, why, what, what did they just, why did they do that moment? Right. I know. I know. You never uh, hear those stories. Well, it's the risk you take, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like you see, you know, a news, a news program about my kid, I'm one of me and it could have been mine. Right. Or, you know, right. Uh, one thing that wasn't in the budget too was online lottery, right? That didn't make it. No, this was a interesting issue between house and a conference committee. As you guys may be aware, I mean, there's a whole lot of um, give and take between the, excuse me, no, the give and take between the House and Senate uh, on the budget negotiation process. That includes other policy issues in the outside section. And, uh, you know, I have suspected as well as leadership team that the Senate, you know, doesn't want to do more expanded gambling, which includes online lottery. And, you know, gives us the ability to kind of test the waters about are they really serious about online lottery, so to speak, as a leadership team has those conversations with the Senate? So, uh, you know, we've done this to the Econ Dev Bill last time out. You guys know my feelings about it. Not wicked warm to it, but I do think it's inevitable. Um, as I said earlier, you know, our partners in convenience stores and supermarkets and, you know, bars and many other places that are lottery providers, you know, will be impacted by online lottery. Um, and I'm not always convinced that, you know, things are transferable. Well, that 27-year-old play online lottery versus betting on the Red Sox, right? I think it's a huge cultural issue too. But that being said, you know, $6 billion in record sales. I don't know how else to frame that answer. So, but there is, it is going to be inevitable. I mean, it's just the nature of technology, entertainment, and a changing society. The government's going to have to, on these type of, you know, entertainment products would have to change too. Yeah. So a portion of it, obviously they mentioned scratch tickets, you know, those would probably still be in person and maybe some other games too. So it'll be a combination, I think. Agreed. But I mean, if this, if the online uh, lottery proposal includes a scratchy simulation, you know, mm. it's kind of sort of simulates maybe a slot, slot machine ish type thing on your phone. Does that really translate to long-term players? I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, as much as you know, people like the litter of scratch tickets and you blowing off that weird grayish thing you get a queen to scratch off, which I still don't actually know what the material is. Um, you know, does it you know, does that have the same effect, right? And um, I couldn't tell you. It, it, the online marketplace is very, very competitive, not just on gambling, but you know, on your micro games, on commercial transactions, um, you know, making reservations or booking trips on your phone. I mean, th- these are big deals for these apps. Uh, so, and it's not as you know, like Candy Crush. I buy, you know. $2.99 microtransactions. I mean, Expedia rather use their app too and because they try to create more convenience for consumers to use their products. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 removing that world and the feeling uh, from the Treasury um, and others in the legislature that, you know, we got to move the lottery to the 21st century, you know, just like everything else. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's the whole issue of, you know, how do you keep it out of the hands of minors? Yeah, that's very, I mean, that's a legit question, right? It's the same issue I have regarding takeout alcohol, delivery alcohol services, right? How to keep it out of the hands of minors. And, you know, there's obviously a degree of parental supervision, but, you know, there are places to, you know, protect. For example, you get a driver's license. You know, we have driver's licenses. It has your birthday and it's a verification of age, right? You know, no different as getting carded in a restaurant or hopefully alcohol delivery shows up at your door and somebody checks for an adult, Again, I'm very skeptical that's happening, as you can tell from the sound of my voice as the alcohol oversight guy. Um, but, you know, there are those mechanisms and, you know, they've gotten wiser about VPNs, you know, virtual protocol networks. So, you know, these app developers, you know, are able to, um, you know, identify that you are using a VPN and also prevent you from, you know, accessing your system so it doesn't violate state law. Yeah, yeah. All a lot of uh, unanswered questions still to be resolved before that happens, I think. I agree with you, uh, but it has been rolled out in other countries or the states. So it isn't as if this is a brand new shiny product, but they are customized. Every state, every country's difference is not one size fit all. And mm-hmm. whatever the lottery is thinking, the treasury is thinking, you know, will have to reflect the economic system we're work, working under. You can't just just decide, you know, I'm going to look like Michigan and then that's it. It doesn't quite work that way. Can we talk about um, uh, local issue, Tacky, or what you're well aware of is uh, the state's opening of a welcome center at Eastern Nazarene College. Yeah, I got to go make a visit, see, you know, see the folks over there. For those who aren't aware, I live about 50 minute, 20 minute walk from Eastern Nazarene College. If you walk fast, you're probably 50 minutes. If you're slow like me, it takes a little longer. But yeah, you know, I grew up here, as you all know, and, you know, it's not like I have not been to the NAS when I was a kid, uh, whether biking, walking, or meeting up with friends, right? So, uh, you know, as you all know, universities are having a lot of challenges globally with the declining birth rate and the rising tuition. So, you know, the NAS is no exception to that rule. And you, many people would not be aware they they do have um, apartments on campus, I've had uh, friends who went to school there and used the apartments, particularly for grad school. And, um, you know, they're kind of uh, furnished apartments and uh, people have been using it for decades and nobody's the wiser. So uh, obviously then Eastern NAS is looking for some extra revenue and they've been working with the state on um, converting these apartments to higher standard, you know, to have more permit, temporary slash permit, depending on how you want to frame it, long-term housing 
uh, for migrants. Uh, the state is a refugee state. People always forget that. And we do get Haitians, Afghans uh, are coming here as well as people from South America um, fleeing, you know, basically being murdered, raped, or put into slave gangs, so to speak. Um, you know, really a dictator governments too, where everything's out of control. So it isn't like they're running from Cambridge to Quincy, right? You know, they're coming from bad situations. You guys know about the Afghan situation, hopefully, you know, we long time US ally folks that, you know, we need to get out. I mean, you helped us, we should help you. I'm not complicated. You know, Haitian, well, you know, oh, you all read the news, Haiti's always something unfortunately happening in that country. Um, but, you know, we also get, you know, migrants around the world, right? Ukrainians are coming in big time, right? The Russians are seeking asylum here, right? Chinese seek asylum, whether, you know, religious persecution. Um, we've accepted a lot of them here. We have Cambodian population, we have Vietnamese population, you know, those are two populations that point out are refugee populations. And, uh, you know, the Nepalese also refugee population because an earthquake basically flattened a section of the country. You know, we're put here in temporary refugee status as we're trying to, you know, to try to solve what they're going to do. So people act like this is a novelty. It, it really isn't. Uh, the state has been, the city has been, and uh, the city's been always very welcoming uh, to folks that are in need. And I see no reason not to change. Do you think um, the state should do a better job, though, of communicating with communities about their plans for these welcome centers? Well, let me frame the question this way, right? I mean, I did get some notice that they were coming up several weeks ago. My understanding, they also try to communicate with City Hall about this stuff. But, you know, let's frame it this way. You know, if East Nazarene on its own, about the state, decides to bring in um, folks from, let's say, hurricane region that are doing missionary work and need housing and just transport them up there on their own, uh, put them in the residency there, um, and you know, let's say it's Oklahoma, let's make a better state. Oklahoma tornado ridden missionaries go out and other help centers to bring them to Massachusetts as, you know, as a uh, place to shelter and do what not essentially domestic refugees. Um, yeah, what's the problem with that? Right. As you know, the mayor's concerned about the impact, potential impact on the public schools. Um, if there are an uh, influx of new children, would the state like reimburse the city for that? Same thing I just said, right? If you go out and get some folks from, let's say, a, 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 a torn, uh, weather-torn area in the Midwest and bring them all here, would we be having this conversation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, I believe this is a helpful city and people here are very generous, but it's about how you frame the argument. And uh, you can argue, well, the state brought them. All right. Well, what if a private entity brought them? Any real difference? Not any impact. Same, yeah. You know, the difference is the government's involved in this one, uh, but the city would be say, facing the same situation in both scenarios. Right. So does the state work with this communities to, to help pay for those those costs? Well, unlike the first scenario regarding the ENC moving on their own, for example, if they do that and private folks, you know, it's this scenario, there is federal funding that, you know, unrefugee you know, placement and we you know we put up 20 million dollars last year and i think we put up 80 million dollars in a sub budget this year to help to transition to supplement federal funding and the states always had as part of our uh, budget what we call pothole funding so if we have a family that moves from one place to another in a school district and you didn't have that as part of your chapter 70 calculation it's a pothole 
and then we put we put you know money set aside to provide that fill. Given the fact that you know, these folks are coming in in the summertime prior to school year begins, it's better than showing up in January. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they can you know a lot of the pupil calculation will come into play, and uh, you know, the state and federal funds will kick in. And I also remind folks. You got your nine, almost $9 million more in Chapter 70 funding this fiscal cycle as part of education reform. So, I mean, I think, I'm trying to remember the numbers now off the top of my head, but I think it was like a 20% bump from the original Chapter 70 formula. So, you know, and that doesn't count as we talk about school meals, transportation assistance, you know, for both special education and regional school districts, you know, um, you know, a bunch of other grant programs ranging from school building assistance grants to uh, opera money, you know, regarding things like better ventilation, air filters, right? And, uh, you know, we, we help pay for school nurses uh, as well. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, we're a big partner, you know, in the funding of your, you know, your schools. The city operates them all, but the money came from somewhere, right? So it's not just your um, property taxes providing that funding. So, you know, the state and the feds, you know, put up money for, you know, transition assistance for all these migrants. And, uh, you know, I suspect that it ain't going to be hard for us to continue to do that. We still have a few bucks left, and we're not going to rely entirely on federal money. That's unreasonable. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that uh, the city recognizes the same commitment that we've made on the state and federal level and also participate in helping out. And again, I say and say again, this is a very generous city. We're a very careful, loving city. So I see no reason why uh, this cannot be resolved. Yeah, also, I mean, the folks. I think, think some folks. Man, the community health center has been out there, mm-hmm. based at community services, you know, a myriad of our local social agencies, you know, are helping at the welcoming center. Um, as well as, you know, things like health screenings and whatnot uh, associated with, you know, helping these folks out. So, you know, if I, our human service agencies, you know, I was actually paying extra for this assistance and they're out there, you know, working right now to do it. Yeah, no, so, I mean, as you know, the biggest, I guess, question I've heard from folks is the communication aspect of it, that they felt that it was sprung upon them. Well, that, that's fair. I mean, but I say, you know, it was a private entity doing it. It wasn't government. Just saying, I think you know where I'm going with this, guys. If I have to spell it out any further, I don't I, I don't really need to, right? So, I mean, obviously, it'd be great if there's better communication. But, you know, did anyone communicate to the neighborhood if they're going to bring in 27 families for graduate school at ENC? Ah, yeah, when you frame it that way, right? Because we're not talking about new housing which I know there's a lot of constituent angst about development. This ain't new housing. This is existing housing that has been used for decades in our neighborhood that sometimes include families that are at an ENC. Just saying, folks, right? So and just to let folks know, the vice president of ENC has agreed to uh, do an interview with me next week. So um, we'll uh, we'll get to uh, know a little bit more about what's going on there, too. Well, you can ask them, you know, did they notify people when they have an influx of families or people going to school there? Did they inform the city of a massive influx of families that are going to go to school there? <laughs> I mean, people, I mean, 
I, I just don't get it. It's well, not, I mean, the difference is they're not going to school there. They're living there. So I think that's yeah. That's the school you can talk to the NC guys. I mean, there are people that are families. I've been to I remember campaigning years ago, walking onto the campus and meeting families that actually lived on the campus and they had children. I mean, <laughs> we were talking about July 4th fireworks and where they could go to see them uh, with their young kids. And I was like, what are you doing here? Grad school? Oh, yeah, where are you living? In departments at ENC. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Those are there. I mean, I don't know right. why. I don't know what's wrong here. Well, because people didn't know, Jackie. I don't think people well, understood that there were, I, no, there were there. I get that. But did they know they had all those young families before? Probably not. Exactly. You made my point for me. So that, that's why there's questions now, because people didn't know. When people don't know, they ask questions. Agreed. And that's that's perfectly fine. But to treat this as some like abnormality regarding existing housing and existing neighborhood being used, come on, folks. Right? You all can figure this out on your own. So... I agree. I mean, it'd be nice if we had better communication, but I did get some advance notice. So I wasn't completely blindsided. Uh, but at the same time, though, again, this is existing housing that has been used by families before. I know. I visited them. <laughs> right. You know, but most people didn't. So now they do. So the question to ask ENC and want to ask city government, you know, should ENC inform the neighbors and the mayor every time a whole bunch of you know, folks come in for any time of extended stay with their families at ENC. George, should they be required to do that? They haven't been required to do that forever. Ah, <laughs> you see where I'm going here. No, it's a, obviously it's a private entity. So it doesn't it, matter. It's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's the same question, right? If you have a question about the impact regarding utilization of those requirements. So can the city tell us and can the ENC tell us how many families were there to impact the school system when, you know, they had more families that lived on campus, you know, in the past? And uh, you talk about today, but I mean, hey, I mean, it's existing housing that was used for young couples and families. Right. The difference here is the state's involved this time. That's that's, that's no, it's difference. not. That's the difference. But in terms of usage and impact. Yeah, exactly. Right. Either the, the the government involvement versus private involvement versus existing housing. Yeah, I know there's a government involvement. And was the 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 impact of a non-government involvement? No, same impact, right? It would have the same impact, right? right. So the states, it's easy because you want to beat up on the state or people have questions state, and that's perfect fair, fair to do, both beating us up and asking questions. That's not a problem. But you know, there's some illusion here that this is a novelty in the neighborhood. I'm just telling you, it ain't. And the city's always managed this in the past. The difference here is the human services are much more involved mm -hmm. you know, as part of this transition process and the state's much more involved in trying to transition these folks quickly you know, into the workforce, which is a shortage of, and you know, move on to more permanent housing elsewhere. That, that's the difference, right? But, you know, if there was 20 families, you know, ENC, for example, a dozen years ago that impacted school system because it showed up for school in September, which, you know, same issue. Right. I'm, again, I'm just saying it's people weren't aware. Now they are. Yeah. Yeah. And should have been aware 20 years ago when ENC had those apartments. 
Well, I'll ask them. Well, yeah, I mean, that's something you ask the residents too, right? Should have should they have a community meeting every single time those apartments are filled by ENC? Should have had one for the last 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Should have been every year a community meeting about ENC's impact on, on the school system. Maybe there was no kids that year. Maybe it's strictly just young couples, but maybe they should tell everybody it was only the young couples or young singles. Or maybe, you know, that it had an abnormal year and they had you know, a policy they allowed to have people bring their young families with them for a year of school. I don't know. I mean, it's a good question to ask the VP of, of ENC. And, and, you know, like I said, I mean, time changes and people change and things keep changing over there. And I mean, you know, it ain't new, the apartments, right? And the impact on it, you know, regardless of what decade we're talking about, what year we're talking about, you know, it had variable effects in the city depending on what was going on in, in, in there. So, I mean, you know, same thing moving in, you know, people to go to school. I mean, I live, where I live next to us is no longer young families you know, growing up there. It's a lot of, or to stay here, a lot of um, families go to school in ENC, you know, come and go back and forth. You know, they said 20 minute walk to school and there's other rentals in the area, as you all know, they have families. Uh, so you're gonna start checking every ENC graduate student in a neighborhood now that brings their kids? I'm not suggesting that, Tacky. I'm just asking questions. I know, and I'm suggesting some scenarios that are legitimate uh, that people, you know, give some consideration to, right? I mean, providing a different point of view for you all is what I'm doing, uh, because I think people get locked in right very quickly on, you know, the state did this, they did that. Fair. I'm not going to disagree with that. But, you know, let's think this through all the way, right? And let's, let's, people get hyper-focused on this migrant thing, right? You know, there's, in, in the school. Well, let's bring this to a larger thought process and give you some alternative ways of thinking the same issue, but a different way. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, there's an influx of uh, students uh, in a neighborhood and they have families, you know, and let's say there's a hundred of them and they rent in the area around you where you live in, in the area. Same impact, right? And, you know, perhaps they were replacing folks that were seniors, which is actually very true in my neighborhood, right? I live in an area where a lot of folks are selling their homes uh, who are older. There's no less than six families, you know, on the corner in three years. And I see young kids, right? So, you know, we'll figure it out. City's a good city, people are good people. And uh, they'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. All right, we will see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. Like I said, I'm giving you another way to look at something. Um, the MBTA has a new uh, contract with their union. Yeah, uh, very generous, no surprise. Labor's short, nobody likes to work the T. I can't believe I used those words. Um, <laughs> Not yeah, 20 I, years ago, you wouldn't. <laughs> I 20 years most definitely wouldn't, where you're getting calls and can't get make a kid a job at the T, right? I mean, it was like a reoccurring theme. Nowadays, you know, big signing bonuses uh, and trying to put employment in people and they're struggling. And the union contracts, most generous union contract in like 25 years. I'm not surprised. Uh, there's labor shortage. You know, there's no incentive for people to stick longer around longer than they need to. 
and uh, they have incentivized workers to stay and the incentivized workers to come. And uh, a lot of stuff you've seen in the press regarding the signing bonuses and other things, you know, in terms of packages, you know, are codified in their collective bargaining agreement. Not surprised by that either. So it's a reflection of the current labor market. And, uh, you know, the struggles we've talked about basically all year uh, about the tea and its labor shortages, and it, it shows. Do you think it'll work? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, unemployment in general is still floating at a 3% zone. Um, there's no more expanded government benefits from pandemic, so and no expanded unemployment. So and hyperinflation. So either you're cutting back huge, trying to live on government benefits because inflation you know, was a 9%, we're down to three, but core inflation still over 4%. People are working with more money and wages, but you're still gonna to try to find the best paying job possible right now. Yeah, that, my thought was maybe they should look to public transportation systems and other, places in the country to lure them here perhaps i mean that's how we got um the current general manager uh you know try to lure better talent here uh, but it's a nationwide labor shortage to begin with and you know when i did the visit with with uh, congressman lynch and senator keenan you know on the rails uh quincy adams i mean they already took some people from carriolis so you know the project manager there actually the t already stole from carriolis which is the private contractor that he uses for their commuter rail. Um, so the pool, the pool is shrinking. Yeah, yeah, especially in specialized transportation uh, professionals. And then, but even then, I mean, laborers, um, customer service folks. I mean, it is a struggle. It is a struggle to get people, uh, and they just don't have an answer for you because uh, you have to just kind of wait to see how the economy shakes out. Yeah. Uh, you know how how you know not just government but not-for-profit and private sector keeps trying to adjust to the current market and i don't have an answer i think uh, the labor shortage is going to continue for a while to be honest with you i think you're right yeah uh, it's going to be a couple of years at least i think before things start to uh even out a bit mm, no i agree and it's like i said it's a national issue um and i don't blame people for uh, trying to get the best um best dollar they can. I mean, it's the American way. I mean, people are going to work for the best dollar they can find. Um, Senator Warren was in your district this week, Jackie. Yeah, Senator Keenan, John Keenan. I met uh, Senator Warren at the Yaki housing, you know, Father Bill's mainstreams um, facility, which will hopefully open in October. They're still in the midst of the tail end of the construction. That will be a, a multi-use uh, services for uh, individuals that are seeking assistance in housing, uh, especially issues regarding homelessness. And uh, it's a wonderful work by a whole lot of folks. And I give a lot of uh, uh, credit to Yaz and his team over there, um, as well as the city and the state and the feds, as well as a ton of private donors uh, to make this happen. And, you know, there's a huge cooperation by a lot of folks. And uh, the reason I'm very excited about this building is that it's a one-stop shopping and helping people transition from homelessness into the greater society. There is a stigma for people being homeless. Uh, it's real. Um, some of these folks, you know, maybe uh, 
ex-convicts convicts, another stigma. And some people are trying to recover from substance abuse, perhaps, and also stigma there too. So, you know, I think it's a wonderful idea to have everybody get program assistance and transitional assistance, you know, to what they need to do to, to uh, obviously move out of father bills and, and move into society, you know, and you know, have the independent life that they would like to achieve. Obviously, you know, making one's goals a big, big part of that and father's bills trying to help people doing that. So it's wonderful seeing uh, Liz Warren come down and, you know, make a personal tour and visit and uh, talk about, you know, how important uh, these investments are in our community. Um, and obviously, it's a regional service. Um, Father Bill's next big shop is in Brockton, which they're actually um, taking a, an armory. We saw the preliminary sketches, designs for that um, to provide a similar facility down there. And uh, there's a novelty. I think this is the first uh, program of this type in the state to provide one-stop shopping, essentially, on helping people transition from homelessness you know, to wherever they're trying to get to next. And um, it's a savings in a big picture because, you know, a lot of stuff's taken care of there in many ways in terms of helping people move along to get where they want to go and, um, and better prepared uh, to, you know, do whatever they want to do next. And that's kind of the big thing. Yeah, it really is serving as a model, I think, not only for the state, but probably the country too. Absolutely, because I think we ought to often think of homeless situations where we get you someplace to sleep and then you figure it out. Right. Um, that doesn't work. Uh, it's it doesn't. Uh, you really no, it need... just it's an emergency band aid. It doesn't address the root cause of homelessness. Yeah. Yeah, and you need some type of transitional assistance. You know, and you know, I use that word a lot, transitional, because that's what it is. You're trying mm-hmm. to help people from one situation to a, a better situation, but you the person involved needs to be a participant, obviously you know, to help decide where they want to go. And then people need to help you where you want to go. And I always tell folks, you know, my office, I get constituent services. The vast majority of first-time callers. Very rarely do I get someone that's a multiple call issue. The vast majority of uh, one, we actually help them along with whatever they need to do. And I don't hear from them again. We log in into the database system as assisted, and then we close close the file when when, the person's helped. So, um, so this, I mean, this is wonderful. I mean, uh, Father Bill's folks have been talking about this for many, many years, and you know, it's it's great to see it come to fruition. Yeah, the only sad part is Father Bill's not here to see it. <laughs> no, I know. He, you know, this he would have uh, been very proud of the continuation of good work. You know, at a new level, and most importantly, a creative new level. And again, an alternative way of doing things that people have not thought about, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, a way of doing things. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, ironically, you know, he had a vision for this way back in the early 80s, because the first thing he used to say was, I want to take the sign down. Mm. Yeah, the goal of human services is to no longer be relevant. It's, yeah, it's the only thing you can think of is that it's where you want to basically fade yourself out of existence because the health the society's stage. Right, because the problem no longer exists, right? So, so it's a it's a it's a bold goal for sure. So so this is nice to see a step in that direction. Uh let's end on a positive note, Techie. It's August, so that means August Moon. August Moon's the 20th. Uh you can, you can find me there, my paper fans and jar openers again and getting a sunburn. 
um, and avoiding the dunk tank at all costs. I don't want to go in there. Um, and uh, obviously I meet constituents and uh, I do constituent services at the table. Big surprise, right? You know, unless there's some kind of crises, you will see me there 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Quincy High School, Persian Resources, working with the high school in the city. You know, does an incredible job, uh, as well as the YMCA. We use their parking lot over there, too. So, you know, a lot of community partners make this event happen. It is the largest event in August on the South Shore, in my opinion. Uh, it's definitely, you know, one of the biggest uh, Asian-run events in the state. The next bigger one is the uh, Water Festival in Lowell, which is actually the 19th. Um, so Saturday before uh, August Wednesday's the water festival so people want to uh, check that out if you want to spend a day I've gone up there it is a lot of people <laughs> I visit oh, water never, I've even heard of that interesting yeah yeah it's uh, run by uh, the Cambodian uh, folks up there it's a Southeast Asian um, event uh, so you know very exciting if you want to you know if you're up in the area make the track down but I'm warning you now it is super crowded up there okay Right. Track. Um, but Quincy, uh, in many ways, is somewhat easier. The parking is a little bit easier. We have public transportation. Um, the road configuration is not new. Uh, during Flag Day Parade, we all know Quincy uh, High School, Cotting Street is closed for Flag Day. So that configuration is not new for the city in terms of how to mm -hmm. manage it. Um, and it's, a, you know, again, it's a walk-in, walk-out. And it's an inner city. It's an inside-the-city event. So there's a lot of positives to, to having where it is. And so just a lot of fun, really, is... <laughs> It is. I, I don't see it all. I passing to fans and job partners and taking constituent services. So, <laughs> it's a it's a working festival for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're all going to have a good time and I will as, have a good time as well. I just have a different style of good time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a lot uh, to go see the candidates out and um, yep, I'm hoping right. uh, Perhaps some of the statewide sitting officials will make a, make a trip down in a non-election year. But as I just described, you know, there's one and many other events going on in August. And, you know, I can always hope that one of the statewides come visit. But, you know, I, I'm understanding there's a, there's a lot of things happening at the same time. And it's August and everyone wants a little time off. Right. Yeah. And a lot of schools, I know, go back to last week in August. Uh, not Quincy, obviously, but other communities. Well, I remember my college days. I didn't realize that... Um, that uh, when, <laughs> I think everyone found this at one point. You get out of high school, you go to college, and you realize college actually started like two weeks before Labor Day. That's right. <laughs> and then I did so the same. <laughs> what did I get myself into? Of course, you have most of the month of January off. So what the heck? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I was like, oh yeah, this isn't the schedule I'm used to. Uh, same thing in law school. Right? Law school was actually before Labor Day for me uh, in New England, going nights. So it was kind of like, oh yeah, this this truncated summer because you know when you go to law school nights, you know, the legislative session, as you all discovered, you know, ends on July thirty first. Yeah. But year you got the one month recess, so you're going to law school at night. You know, you would run straight to August first. Okay, session ends, you're in cleanup, but then you're going to school in three weeks. So I had to like this really tiny window um, to try to do something else, uh, anything else. Uh, between you know me doing an August because I used to run some of these August moon festivals too, so I was trying to like sandwich in like school session closed and like a festival, and it was like this three weeks of of August that you know desperately trying to find five days off. Um, some right. in some ways I still haven't left that lifestyle yeah. um, from my law school days, and this year is actually my twentieth. 20th, 20th anniversary from law school. Two thousand three was my graduation year, so. 
going to be an attorney this winter uh, 20 years. Wow. Time flies. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, here's what we ask you to give out your contact information. Sure. 617-722-2370. is the uh, phone number. We are staffed. Uh, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-A-Y.C-H-A-N at mahouse.gov uh, is the email. Um, I'm still taking a lot of testimony, so I will find your email eventually, as I've been sifting through a few hundred emails in like half a day, and the second half is a few hundred more. Um, State Representative Tacky Chan, Facebook, you can see pictures of where I've been, hopefully, you know, you enjoy them. Amylegislature.gov is the state website. All the public hearings are no longer on my Facebook account. They're sitting on the state website. They are archived. You're welcome to send me, say God knows what next uh, in a public forum. Um, TechyChin.org. I've noticed people use that. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, people obviously hitting the website and sending in their uh, constituent requests uh, uh, through the website. So no, that's great to see. And we'll continue to update that. We had some interns did some incredible work and actually on that in the House Caucus a website and uh, thank you for, for some great work on interns this summer. And uh, at Tacky Chan is my Twitter um, or X, I'm sorry. They, he changed the name. So it's X. Um, yeah. So uh, at Tacky Chan on X. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank goodness we have young people to deal with these things. <laughs> I'm not that young anymore, folks. And uh, yeah, um, I'm not on Reels. I'm not on Instagram. We have enough challenges um, with the current social media we have um, and uh, whatever's happening at X. So that's right. Stay, stay tuned for Y and Z coming up next. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know what else to say about that one. Um, I'm on X. My hand All I on. could think of was, remember when uh, Prince had just the symbol for his name? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. That was yeah. wild. Uh, because I don't know if you could even enunciate that symbol. I had no clue. I mean, I get it. It was funky. It was creative. There's an artist to it. It got attention. But that didn't last too long either. Uh, no, because I mean, you can't sell it. <laughs> you couldn't sell it. It just wasn't a good marketing thing. Right. And I don't know how, and I don't think he legally changed his name. I think it was just the stage name because I don't, I don't know how you get paid. It, well, right. Yeah. How do, what do you write the check out to? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, back in the days when we had paper checks, right. you know, in the old days, we still had paper checks, right? I mean, you know, when you draw this funky symbol somehow on, on this check, I, Obviously, I don't think he changed his legal name. I think it was obviously a stage name change. But yeah, I remember that. That was that didn't catch on. They just no, no. Yeah. <laughs> now we're dating ourselves. Oh, I gladly embrace my age. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel it now too. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jackie. Take care. Talk to you. Talk to you soon.